You're listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. This is the Monday pod, talking all things EFL with me, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick. This show is sponsored by Betfair. We thank them for their continued and strong support of this podcast all season, uh, both on, on Mondays and on Thursdays as well. Thank you for tuning in, for choosing to listen to us today. George and I off the back of a fabulous evening with an array of the great and good of the EFL on Park Lane. Pretty swanky, wasn't it? Bit of black tie action, George. Yes, it was very swanky. Um, Honoured to be there as ever. It's one of those where I, I kind of, it, it's so great to be surrounded by so many interesting people that it's kind of impossible not to walk away feeling like you could have spoken to about 50 more people. Mm. Um, especially because I, unlike yourself, it's becoming a bit of a, um, a bit of a tradition, I would say, that at the EFL Awards, we, we, we meet for a pint together before. Mm-hmm. Take the edge off. We walk in together, we, we sit together at dinner, mm-hmm. have a speak to a couple of people, and then I duck out at about midnight, and you stay till the, till the very, very end, mm-hmm. which is about 3am. And, and what's ironic about that is I kind of feel like that, that is a, a mirror image of our general way, the general way that we uh, approach our social lives, where <laughs> normally you're the one who, um, who heads home a bit earlier. But um, Well, mate, if every night out <laughs> in my life was the EFL Awards, I'd probably stay... Till the end. Yeah, that's fair. I clearly don't like my mates as much as I like, you know, people connected to Blackburn Rovers Community Trust or something like that. How did you speak to the Blackburn Community Trust a fair bit? Quick hello. I'm very impressed. Very, very, very impressed with with their work. Blackburn won the Diversity Award, which recognises excellence in equality, diversity and inclusion and their... Ewood Express initiative, which I, I I had followed via social channels for a while this season, was very impressed about, um, deservedly winning award. And I must say, I've been to now maybe five EFL awards in the last seven years. Um, this was the first one since 2019 because of uh, the virus. And uh, Blackburn Rovers seem to often win awards for what they do off the pitch. And I think every time we go to these things, I'm I'm excited to see the teams of the season, the player, the players of the season, all those the sort of headline awards. And then generally, by the end of the evening, the most memorable ones for me are not necessarily the football ones. Mm. And you get you, you get such a sense of what all of the clubs, some of them just slightly more than others, are doing within their communities. And when you hear the work that they're doing, when you hear from the people affected positively by it, from the people that are putting in hours and hours of their lives, not always as their job, but quite often as volunteers as well, to help people. It's it's incredibly special. There are a few other uh, things that I wanted to to talk about. Joby McEnough won the Sir Tom Finney Award, which was really, really special. It's a, it's a prestigious prize presented to a player who's had an outstanding career and contributed an exceptional amount to the EFL and football in general. Very, very delighted for Joby, who is a, a wonderful man. Yeah, couldn't agree more. A very deserving winner, someone who played mainly in the EFL um, for for over twenty years um, and became a club legend at, at a couple of clubs as well. So you know he's someone who um, you know we've often said on the podcast that the 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 community, ex playing community, have been incredibly welcoming towards us in, in the work that we've done with them. And Joby is absolutely that so uh, yeah it was good to see him getting the recognition for it as well and um and i'm sure ali that you will achieve when you turn to me and you said that your your new lifetime uh, ambition is to win the, the tom finney award I'm, I'm sure that in in 20 years i'll be i'll be presenting it to you quite a large part <laughs> of that award is having a professional football career so it would be 
I mean, it would be an astonishing story if I if I achieved that from this moment in time. But, you know, stranger things have happened and, and never say never. That's what I always say. Other things to mention uh, in dispatches. Uh, David Pratton's hair is as incredible. I mean, absolute star of the show. I think he and he was wearing a, you know, he was wearing black tie. And if there's any chance that, you know, a casting agent uh, working on on James Bond was there, I think David Pratton would be a, um, you know, a 500 to one into into kind of 25 to one shot after that performance last night. Unbelievable. look. Hard to disagree. I was about to say Pratton's hair was the star of the show. But tell me about the father of the League Two Apprentice of the Year, Junior Chamado. I think you were quite a big fan of his performance. A couple of good performances from fathers, I, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, this this dad kind of ran on stage, did a little dance, and then danced off the stage as well afterwards after the photo opportunity, which was nice. Saw Scott Twine's dad looking quite emotional. Uh, I think a few tears were shed when his son stepped up to the stage to pick up uh, League One Player of the Year. And then you had a chat with him a bit later on, if you can remember it. Uh, no, I had a very nice chat with uh, with Scott Twine's dad. He was very fun. It was so nice to meet lots of people who enjoy listening to the pod. That was very special. I had a lovely time with a lot of the the football manager lot, uh, including our great friend Dean Gripper Gripton. It was fantastic. It was a wonderful evening. Players of the season uh, for the three leagues were Alexander Mitrovic, who's on 41 goals, which I just like saying out loud because it's just so ridiculous. Uh, Scott Twine in League One uh, and Kane Wilson in League Two. The young players of the year were Brennan Johnson of Nottingham Forest, uh, Paddy Lane of Fleetwood, uh, who was a very popular winner, who was talking about how he was working in Sainsbury's not very long ago. He just seemed like the happiest man in the world. That was really nice. Uh, and Finazaz uh, of Newport County as well. The goal of the season was a recent one. Barry Bannon kicking the ball up towards the moon and then dipping it back down over Jamie Cumming uh, into the net against... MK Dons. Uh, goal of the season is the, probably the award that I take most seriously. I don't know why, but there's just something... I, I feel so strongly when I make my choice. I, I feel so strongly that my choice is correct. Uh, now, my vote would have gone, had I had one, to Santi Salina and that lovely touch and lob that he scored for Ipswich. Mm. Um, and I... I just I just don't think you can call it that. It, it's You can't call it a touch and lob. A lovely touch. It, I just don't think it's a lovely touch. I think it's a lucky touch and then a lovely chip. Oh, mate. That's as bad as it gets from you. you. You don't like... The whole point of that goal is that the first touch is what tips it from being a nice chip to the goal of the season. Yeah, but I, 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 I just don't think... I think there's, there's, uh, there is big fortune in the touch, is what I'm saying. Even if it does um, trap it beautifully, I don't think the intent is necessarily there, I'm afraid. You're an idiot. Um... Apprentices. No. I like I like the apprentices getting a nod. It's not just about football this, but it's about their schoolwork as well uh, and how they are around the club with their peers, helping out in the community. We had Ryan Howley of Coventry City winning winning that award for the champ. Deji Ellareway of Charlton Athletic uh, and the aforementioned Junior Chamado. Congratulations to all the winners, of course. Um, a real privilege and honour to have been there and to sit next to my friend George Ellick when he's wearing a, a very smart little dicky bow, as they call it. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. You, I noticed your white shirt had a nice pattern on it that I only noticed very late. It's yeah. One of those like, ooh, what's that? That's a bit that's a bit funky, isn't it? Yeah. Fruity. Mmm. Forest Green Rovers manager Rob Edwards openly admitting on stage, I'm very hungover today. Was a was a mm. real highlight for mine. Um and of course we're at the business end of the season. And there were games on Saturday, important games, important results. That's the meat and drink of this podcast. That's what we're going to get into now. Probably a little less 
here's how the game played out, etc. than the normal Monday pods during the season because it's not about that now. It's about what it means uh, and we would like to run you through that now. So in the Championship, George, where I must admit the football itself didn't seem that exciting. There were five draws of the 11 games that have taken place so far. There were three one-nillers. Most of the games that had goals in were, were sort of dead rubbery types. Um, but we did have first v second. That's always a good place to start. Bournemouth won, Fulham won. The same scoreline uh, as the first game between these two teams. One goal from leading goal scorer Mitro. One goal from second top scorer Dom Solanke. And a whole lot else to talk about. Yeah, I think any Bournemouth fan who hoped um, Fulham were going to kind of phone it in here um, were pretty disappointed when they saw the team sheet. And, and I don't think it was a massive surprise. Um, you know, the undercurrent to this game was, of course, the the Scott Parker narrative. Um, I think it would be unsurprising <clears throat> if the likes of Alexander Mitrovic, Tom Kearney, Joe Bryan, um, all, you know, Tim Ream, guys who who basically were, were cast aside by Parker in the Premier League last season. Uh, it wouldn't be a massive shock if they really wanted to win this. And it, of course, wouldn't be a massive shock at all if Scott Parker wanted to win it. Um, not just to, to help secure their own promotion, but also to try and peg back for them in, in what would have, you know, it would have been uh, very unlikely, but it would have kept the, the title race uh, alive, um, I think, at the moment. Fulham are now 500 on to win the win the championship. You know, it's a matter of time after this result. Um, and it was a, a really drab first half. Uh, nothing much really happened as can often be the case, I think two teams um, with lots of quality uh, kind of cancelling each other out and, and not necessarily looking to to really throw caution to the wind. Um, and then the second half was full of action and intrigue, not necessarily the kind of quality action you'd expect from first few second, but just moments, um, significant moments where Alexandra Mitrovic scored a header that I think to everybody watching looked like it had been saved by Mark Travers. Travers even gave it the big, which you see pretty rarely, the big kind of celebration off the back of the save. Uh, you know, the header bouncing up off the turf and, and Travers clawing it back. To the naked eye, it didn't look like there was any anything left to come from that chance. Uh, there was no appeals from any of the Fulham players. And suddenly uh, you had um, the referee, what's his name, Scott, whatever his first name is, Gary Scott? John Seymour. Graham Scott. Graham Scott is his name. Uh, Graham Scott is um, suddenly looked at his watch and it was a goal and it was a goal. You know, that is the thing that annoys me maybe the most about all this is when you have a, a, a you know, the um, goal line technology and once it's become pretty clear that it hasn't, um, you know, it, it wasn't a fault by any stretch, then I think the debate has to stop. And it was kind of bizarre to see Bournemouth players still protesting um, with the referee once, you know, it became clear that even though um, the naked eye didn't catch the fact that the ball had just edged millimetres over the line, uh, it, it certainly had done that. And that's why it went off. So a fair goal, even coming in pretty weird circumstances. And then, you know, I talk about Scott Parker and the relationship he had with Fulham. Um, but then a, a, an old Bournemouth player with a moment of madness and I think a, a, a totally blatant penalty with Harry Wilson uh, charging back in the 96th minute um, and just basically kicking the ball through Adam Smith's um, leg, basically, and taking the leg first and, and giving a penalty away that gives his old club in Bournemouth a, a really important point as they look to keep Nottingham Forest at bay. If they'd lost this game, Forest would have been just four points behind them with that all-important game coming up at, at the Vitality as well on, on penultimate day. So 
a point that kind of helps Bournemouth, I guess, and especially in the circumstances, will feel like a big point picked up. Uh, and for Fulham, um, some frustration. I thought they weren't able to, to hold on to their win and, and secure the title. But in the grand scheme of things, um, no harm done. It's the first time we've spoken about Fulham since their promotion was confirmed uh, on Tuesday when they beat Preston North End. Uh, they beat them 3-0. Uh, it was pretty apt, I think. It was a, a barnstorming performance. They swept Preston aside and it kind of represented their season as a whole where they have stormed the barn on the way to promotion hmm. I think it's fair to say in the championship um, favourites to win the division uh, picked first in the 1-24s to the The only thing I seem to remember about uh, from pre-season when we were weighing everything up and we were looking at Bournemouth weren't we and we are looking at West Brom and the only question was how good will Marco Silva be at managing this squad and we both came down on the side of pretty good pretty well suited hmm. in terms of start of play um, we preferred really to focus on his time with Olympiacos and Sporting um, in terms of, of uh, trying to project onto Fulham rather than some of his Premier League jobs just because those were similar jobs in terms of having the talent advantage over the rest of the division and needing to score a lot of goals, play good attacking football while remaining tight at the back. That's exactly what they've been all season. They're clearly incredible going forward. They uh, probably won't break Manchester City's 2001-2002 record of goals in a season. They need probably 10 more, I think, in their last two games. They probably won't. They could do. Clearly with Mitro and 41, uh, Wilson and Carvalho and Cabano, they have been magnificent going forward. Um, But, you know, maybe you forget a little bit that you have to be good defensively as well. Of course, the control that they have in possession helps them defensively, but their defenders have been brilliant as well. Riemann and Tosin in particular at the heart of it. The fullbacks have chopped and changed quite a bit, haven't they? Um, Robinson and Bryan uh, on the other side, Tete and, and Nico Williams, certainly in, this, in the second half of the campaign since he joined. Um, even the goalkeeper changed. You know, they started the season with Gazaniga in goal. Now they've got Rodak mm. in goal. So it, it's it's been an interesting one. You know, they didn't make too many signings over the summer. It was it was Wilson. It was Nat Chalabar on a free. Um, big Rodman is uh, who we haven't seen a huge amount of and haven't really needed to and then Nico really in, in January was the big the big addition uh, and they've just they've just they've just been very very good haven't they I sort of think I, I know there's a sense of fatigue that Fulham and Norwich keep <laughs> keep going up right but I can't speak negatively about a team who are just a good football team who've won a lot of matches and played really really good stuff and it was interesting yesterday um, when Mitrovic went to pick up his uh, award um, for Player of the Season in the Championship. What he said was 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 interesting. Where he gave a lot of credit to the to the to Marco Silva, and he basically said that Marco Silva set the team up not only to perfectly suit him, but also to perfectly suit the other players in the side. And I think that might have been a bit of a a jab at, at Parker because even though um, even though Mitrovic, of course, scored a lot of goals last time they were promoted, I think he would feel like the, the change of tact, the change of, of way that they approached their, their Premier League campaign um, didn't necessarily fit the players who, who'd taken them there. Um, and in, in my opinion, Marco Silva is much more likely to be a manager who could continue to, well, who could start to overachieve in the Premier League with Fulham. Um, I, I think we've seen Fulham approach their previous promotions in two very different ways. The first time, you know, we saw them spend a lot of money. Um, and the second time, it was a similar plan in terms of, of rejuvenating the squad. But it was done probably more cleverly in terms of, of getting loans in. Uh, so when things went wrong, again, at least they weren't tied into these you know, high wage players who, who they basically couldn't afford to have on their books. Um, I, I think the, the interesting thing for me is that if you look at Fulham's 
recruitment and isolation, it's actually like pretty good. Um, you've got Jakim Anderson at, at Palace, who I think has proven himself this season to be a very, very good ball-playing centre-back at Premier League level. You've got Anguissa, who we know is, I mean, he's a he's an he's an elite, you know, European um, club level footballer. I think John Seri should be, um, especially kind of the as the pace maybe gets a bit slower um, and a bit less frantic, the higher up the pyramid you go is another one who's very talented. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with, with the, the people that they target or the way they target it. I think it's all been to do with strategy and the way that you play. And I think that Silver is a better manager than Parker and probably has a, a better understanding of, of what he wants next season, uh, given his increased experience. You know, It is important to point out, you mentioned the Olympiacos and the sporting jobs. I think the job that he did at Hull and the job that he did at uh, certainly Everton and, and even at Watford have all actually aged quite well. When you look at when you look at where, you know, he was perceived to have done a terrible job when, when Everton were, you know, in mid table and now they're they're probably going to be a team we're talking about next season. Um even at Hull, you know, he was he a lot of people, a lot of naysayers were, were blaming the relegation on him when actually their form under him when he took over halfway through the season was was far better than relegation form. And again with Watford, until the, the Everton job came up, his, his record there was superb and then things kind of unraveled as soon as it became clear he wanted to leave. So you know, there will be people out there who listen to that and, and disagree with all of it. That's completely up to you. But in my mind, he's proven himself already to be at the very worst capable in the Premier League. Um and I think we'll see I think we'll still see a lot of players coming in. I think um, it's a it's a big blow for Fulham that they're not going to get uh, their due on Fabio Carvalho, who's going to go for a cut price because of the contract situation. Um, but I still think we'll see investment. And I, and I personally, if I was to make two guesses, I'm not going to say they're, they're, they're necessarily definitely going to stay up. But I think Mitrovic will have his best Premier League season by miles next season uh, under Marco Silva. Um, and I think they will be better than they have been in the last couple of uh, of tries. Okay, well, congrats to Fulham. Congrats to Fulham fans. We barely knew you, etc., etc. See you next time. Um, <laughs> well, Bournemouth's point was was huge. Um, not out the woods yet, are they? Because Forest still breathing down their neck. Huddersfield picking up maximum points as well uh, with a win uh, against Barnsley. Those are the two games I want to talk to you about now, George, because as much as it's about Forest and Huddersfield, it's also about our uh, relegation spots having all been confirmed. Peterborough and Barnsley suffering relegation after defeats here. Uh, Forest impressive uh, against uh, a posh team who have, who have been somewhat resurgent in the last few weeks, uh, keeping them at arm's length, defended very, very well restricted them to mostly shots from outside the box uh, and created a decent amount of chances themselves. Sam Surridge kind of it just sort of fell out of favour a little bit, didn't he? Um, I, I think the narrative around Surridge was talented young striker who can put himself out uh, about a bit and has had a penchant for, for big chances, for, for good movement in the box and was a bit of an XG guy. Uh, and then over the last year or two, not necessarily down to poor performances, but I would suggest just poor situations. It's been a very, very strange season, hasn't it? He signed for Stoke uh, back in August. Four-year contract, undisclosed fee. There were lots of rumours that it was very high. It probably wasn't as high as some people thought, but still eyebrows were raised. It, it was never massively trusted. And a Stoke City team that, you know, have been a bit hit and miss this season, and, and he was mostly missed and hit in reduced minutes, you have to say. Uh, and then Forrest pick him up in January. It's it's quite an unusual situation. Forrest pick him up, transfer fee reported to be around two and a half mil, two mil, something like that. Um, 
They also pick up Keenan Davis, who goes straight in. They've got Lewis Graben already, who's a key man for them. And you sort of think, okay, well, did you need to spend £2 million on someone who's, who, if we're honest, is probably a third-choice striker at this point? Well, look who's laughing now. Graben's not quite back fit and ready. Keenan Davis is out for the well, season. He's, out. he's now out. Is he out? He, Graben came off in the 89th minute. He's out for the foreseeable, at least a couple of weeks. There you go. So it's, it's, so it's basically just Surridge and, and, and Brennan. If they didn't have Sam Surridge... You'd be a little concerned that they would that they'd be lacking something inside the penalty box. So uh, maybe it doesn't look uh, quite so crazy after all. It was a nice cross, wasn't it, from Brennan? Uh, that assist making him the latest to join the double double club, double double uh, double figure goals, double figure assists, uh, and the young player of the season as well. Um, Peterborough relegated George. We've been quite positive about Posh in the last few weeks because they have improved under Grant McCann. Overall, it has been. A very, very, very poor season from a team that we expected more from. Yeah. Um, like if it wasn't for the points deductions, they'd have gone weeks ago. <clears throat> They're miles off it. It's been it's been a very disappointing. I think they'll be feel having um, been such a constant threat to getting promoted. Um, I think everyone will be very frustrated that they were unable to make a better fist of it. Um, and and it's kind of surprising, I guess, especially when you see. Uh, but you know, the Blackpool have obviously been been fantastic this season, but also how Hull have, have managed to p- pick up so many more points than Peterborough in a period of real turbulence as well. You know, not only did you have McCann sacking, but you also had a, an ownership for the first half of the campaign who were still trying to sell the club, or at least were in the process of selling the club, and, and were incredibly unpopular with the fan base. And then, uh, you know, a, a a new manager coming in with no experience of the league plenty of issues around injuries this season as well and they've still managed to um go very well clear of a, a peter preside who even though they've had their own in- instability they've kept very much on brand in terms of starting the season with darren ferguson managing them in the championship for the second time and ending with with grant mccann uh, he'll be managing them in, in league one for the second time next season um and not a very big churn of of players either um so it's pretty disappointing for them there has quite clearly and definitely been a massive improvement since McCann came in in pretty much every single facet of, of the way that they're playing now and I think not only is, is McCann a much better manager now than he was in his first spell um, and unsurprisingly he's learned a lot I think uh, and and he's a manager who's who's got a team promoted out of uh, League One fairly recently um, but he's also someone who kind of gets the club and, and, and now has an understanding of the players. I was talking to a an unnamed League One manager last night uh, about the state of, of of League One next season, um, and we kind of agreed that even though Peterborough should be pretty good, we're going to talk about Barnsley in a second, and, and obviously they've just parted ways with their manager, and then the Derby side, who you know, let's hope that that they are going to be competing at the top level, but I think right now most of their fans would, would take just consolidation and 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 a bit of stability. Um, it does feel like next season's League One isn't going to be quite as competitive uh, as it was when we went into this season um, and that will especially be the case if one of Sunderland or Sheffield Wednesday do go up through the playoffs and it, it feels to me that's probably about a 50-50 chance at the moment so um, I'd say Peterborough probably come down um, with the with the the lowest sorry the highest floor it, it's very hard to see why they wouldn't be given they always have been a, under the current regime uh, a, a very good league one side but similarly if they do get back up again, um, it kind of reminds me a bit of Fulham going up and down from the Premier League. They have to change something because um, they, they just weren't good enough. Spot on. Well, they, they weren't good enough on, on Saturday to get past 
an impressive Forest uh, side, but they did give it a much better shot than Barnsley's performance on Friday night, uh, live on Sky at Huddersfield. It was difficult to watch. If I felt let down, I, I can't imagine what the, the Barnsley fans uh, were feeling and have felt all season, George. It's, it's, if we zoom out here, it's pretty insane that a team makes the playoffs and gets relegated 12 months later. It's pretty insane. Can you explain it to those who, who might need that explaining? I think I think you have to um, take what happened at Barnsley as a pretty rare kind of storm, basically, where you had a side whose um, natural level probably was in and around the relegation zone, who the season before their playoff campaign had a remarkable escape, um, having spent the season down there, who then started the next campaign down there again. And in Valerian Ishmael, brought in a manager who whose style was not only completely different to anything we'd seen in a long time but came with a massive sense of surprise and that is I think what is crucial with with what happened with Ishmael at West Brom and what happened at Barnsley is that going into this season the amount of talk about Ishmael and, and Baggies and if they had the right players for it and there were you know articles in the Athletic talking about the different um calls that they played and, and how the different long balls had different names that were being called at you know it was it because it worked at Barnsley it became such a thing that it was eminently predictable and every single team going into that campaign knew exactly what they were going to be facing with Bar- with with West Brom but that wasn't the case the season before where there was no method or, or ability to plan for it the, the players were clearly much better suited by it and it almost felt like they'd found a way to, to kind of cheat the system and to make their their performance levels elevated far beyond anyone else's. So I think there's a, there's one argument that it's just a reversion to the mean, basically, um, that that little flash in a pan um, was just that. And as soon as Ishmael left, and, and I think even if Ishmael had stayed this season, I don't think there'd have been a, a top six, top seven team because to an extent they'd, been, they'd have been found out. Um, so I, I think that's basically what's happened here. I, I think Marcus Schott was clearly the wrong appointment. I personally as a fan of a club who are going to be trying to get promoted out of League One next season, I'm happy that they've sacked as Baggy. I think I'd seen plenty in terms of both the way they um, set up and the way that he talks about the game to suggest to me that him having one of the better squads in a division might make them a, a pretty good team, um, as was the case, of course, previous in the, the last two times they've come down into League One. Um, they've immediately been one of the best teams in the division. But having said that, the recruitment of managers has until shopping has baggy been been very very good so it'll be interesting to see who they get in as is often the case i think um the ownership and the fan base um being kind of at loggerheads gives barnsley a bit of an identity crisis and except for ishmael's appointment um but even before then barnsley fans pretty much to a man would like them to hire a respected British name who's been there and done it and that is incredibly unlikely given what we've seen before um, so unlike previously on the back of two bad well two failed uh, European appointments it does feel like for Barnsley next season if, if things don't start well um, then it could unravel pretty quickly I, th- I think the fans will be very very on edge and will make their feelings known if they're not happy with how things uh, get off well, of course, this ownership group own quite a few other clubs across Europe. One of them, Nancy in France, also suffered relegation on Friday night from Ligue 2. Now, the, the history, the size of the club 
is not a third tier French side, shouldn't even really be in Ligue 2 and certainly shouldn't be floundering. Um, it should be pointed out that they weren't doing very well over the years before this ownership group took charge. But it's not a great look for a group of people who, in the good times, uh, have been very keen to to describe their method in such a way that that makes it seem like they think they they sort of know better that makes it think like makes it seem like they think they've kind of cracked it and yeah yeah well bit of high press lads that's always needed and and this youthful squad was was doing the business well it doesn't look very smart now the the obvious thing is to look at the the squad that Marcus Shop had available at the start of the season and it's so easy to think this now with hindsight but it had next to no creativity in it he didn't replicate Ishmael's style of play well at all but he didn't replace what helped them create chances under Ishmael with anything else so they've been miserable in possession all season finally got some creativity in, in Keener and Bassi in, in January and things started to, to look a little bit better only briefly really the centre of the park's been a massive issue uh, Alex Mowat's departure you know, was always going to hit them hard for sure. But I think they could have given Shop a slightly better situation than they gave him in the centre of the park. Uh, Morris and Woodrow's injuries this season have not helped them, of course. Same with uh, Helix currently out. Um, Anderson missed a large chunk of the start of the season. It's not been easy on that front, but not enough players who were ready to perform and probably a group of players that weren't put in a very good position to perform anyway uh, in terms of the balance of the squad. I don't think that as Baggy... Again, easy to say this with in hindsight, and I agree that I saw some signs, some flickers, some improvements, briefly. Just not someone who seems capable of, like, rousing people. As a leader, he was not hugely, didn't come across as hugely inspirational or motivating, and perhaps this was a situation that called for that. Uh, anyway, as Baggy will not be Barnsley manager, we don't know who will be Barnsley manager in League One. Uh, clearly, we think as of right now, that Peterborough are in a much better shape heading down to League One. Uh, but we also know that by the first week of, of August or the last week of July when the season starts, everything could look very, very different. So uh, commiserations to the fans of, of Posh and Barnsley. Um, we go again next year, etc. Uh, Huddersfield, I, I just want to mention um, securing their playoff place. They still will think that if they could win both of their games and pray for a, a Bournemouth collapse, that they could go up automatically. Regardless, George, um, everyone thought they'd fall away. They're the team that haven't fallen away. They're the team that are not falling anywhere, who seem to have an answer for any type of opposition, any game plan, and seem to be able to win football matches, which is a pretty good skill to have at this stage of the season. And win them in different ways, I think, is what's so important. Um, you know, sometime in this in this game that we're in, you've got to hold your hands up when you get something wrong. And I've got Huddersfield wrong from pretty much the first ball kick this season. Uh, I was very concerned for them going into the campaign about them surviving in the league. They started very well. I was pretty convinced they were going to fall away. They moved further up the division. A couple of months ago, I, I felt and said live on Quest that they were the team I thought were going to drop out of it. And they've kept the foot on the gas. And, and they're, they're the team who are now able to basically take stock with a few games left to go and start preparing for the playoffs. Um, it's incredibly impressive what they've done. And, and what, as I say, it feels like if you take two games from this recent run against quality opposition. So let's take the Middlesbrough game and take the uh, Luton game uh, against Luton up against a side who you know, don't really have much interest in, in having the ball, um, who look to be aggressive out of possession. Um, Huddersfield were happy to play a pretty high line to, to control the game at times. 
to kind of force uh, Luton to have to try and go over the top in order to, to try and score. And even when, when controlling the game from ahead, albeit with the help of, of Adebayo missing a penalty, they never kind of dropped in and, and looked to soak up pressure. Unlike uh, in the Borough game, where after going ahead, they dropped in. They were very happy to let Borough have the ball in, the, in their half, very, le- very happy to let them knock it around and were incredibly effective at springing them on the counter and getting in behind and creating chances. And that is the most impressive thing. You know, I've, and I still find it even today, you know, we, we discussed yesterday, we were talking about who should have won the, the manager of the year award in the championship. And, you know, Nathan Jones won it. You said that you thought um, Carlos Corbran maybe should have won it. Um, there's obviously talk about Steve Cooper, whose job since taking over from Chris Hewton has been incredible. But I think we both agree that given the, the calibre of squad and the, you know, what was expected from them pre-season between Forrest and, and the other two, they would just probably pip him uh, in that sense. And I found myself when you said about Corbran, I was like, nah, you know, I don't know how much credit I'm giving him. But I think it's just a massive disservice. I think because last season we saw them being fairly... Um, disappointing um consistently and even their fans I remember their fans used to say the core brand had no idea how to manage a lead well i think they've now become one of the best teams in the country at managing a lead um because they can do it in so many different ways so yeah uh hands up we, we got them spot on when they went up under david wagner all those years ago um this time not so much but it could end in the uh in the same way it is amazing how do you remember even though we had about a tenth of the listeners we have now probably a 20th we had we were riding that Huddersfield train with loads of Huddersfield fans at the time. We haven't heard from any this time around because we haven't been so nice about them, sadly. No, no. Well, I cannot wait to see them as part of a, a of a championship playoff quad. Uh, if that's what comes, they will very likely be in it with uh, Luton Town, who drew with uh, Blackpool. Um, felt a little hard done by with a couple of refereeing decisions. A goal disallowed right at the end, which I was pretty baffled about, if I'm honest. So kind of agreed with Nathan Jones on that front. Um, all being well, that they'll make the playoffs. They've got a six-point gap now over Millwall. So one point will secure uh, one point in the next two games or any drop points from Millwall. Uh, and that's the last thing to focus on in terms of, of the Championship, George, where I piled some pressure on Sheffield United because they were winless in three. They hadn't scored a goal, I think, in that time. Millwall had had a very good Easter weekend. Millwall were, it felt like, knocking at the door, heading to Birmingham City, who we felt were in pretty poor nick. Uh, And the onus, the pressure was on Sheffield United. And they stood up to it. They showed some stones, didn't they? A 1-0 win for Blades at home to Cardiff. Uh, Cardiff didn't even really get very close to their goal. Um, and this time United did not concede sloppily like they have done in recent games to, to Reading and to Bristol City. And it was Iliman and Jai who scored the winning goal as well. Very pleasing uh, to see one of the 21 under 21 legends uh, scoring a big goal. Uh, of course, Billy Sharp is soon to be back from injury um, and got 20 minutes at the end here. Um, but still, they are looking very light in the striker department. So that can't come soon enough. Uh, regardless, George... That Millwall game at Birmingham was not what we expected this weekend. I'm looking at info goal right now, and I feel like there might have been a typo here. It was two all. 3.98 Birmingham's expected goals. 3.17 for Millwall. That must be one of the highest goal expectancy games of the whole season. That's 7.2 xG, uh, and only four goals scored. Uh, a surprising result. All in all, a great weekend for Sheffield United. Yeah, exactly. Um, a really important weekend for them. Um, not necessarily still at their most convincing, I wouldn't say, uh, Blades, but um, 
an all-important home win while seeing uh, Millwall dropping points in a game that I think going into... Um, I think Sheffield United fans probably would have expected Millwall to go to Birmingham and beat them. So so not only is, is getting the win all important, but, being, but picking up two points on a team just beneath you, uh, incredibly important as well. I think Millwall will be disappointed they weren't able to do more. Uh, I think the you know the the loss of, of Jed Wallace is probably making you know is is a difficult thing to navigate at this stage of the season. Um, I think the frustration for for Millwall fans are having their you know their talisman and their best player who's about to have his contract expire not available when they're this close to the Premier League has got to be incredibly galling um, given how important he's been to them over the, over the years but you know it was defensively it was you know defensive issues here that, that were the the core reason for it um, and probably um, the you know Lee Bowyer's uh, experiments playing Onel Hernandez at left wing back and um, Jordan Graham at right wing back at the same time um, having conceded 10 goals in, in basically three halves of football, uh, probably not the best timing for Millwall, who, um, <laughs> who had to face up to two kind of genuine fullbacks in Maxim Connor and, and Jeremy Bella. So, yeah, d- difficult. Well, uh, it shouldn't have been a too, too difficult a game, but there was certainly an upgrade in, in Birmingham's performance. And, and now you probably feel like it, it might be tricky for, for Millwall to, to kind of fight their way back in, especially with playing Bournemouth on on final day, who, who could well need that you know, result there to, to win the league. Um, Barra are the ones now with their game in hand. Uh, if they could win that, then they would they would get themselves closest to Sheffield United. Home um, to Cardiff they, on Wednesday night. If Borough that, were that to the win, they would be mm. on 67 points. Sheffield United on 69. And it's another classic case where right now Sheffield United's uh, goal difference is, is plus 12. Borough's is plus eight. You'd think if they're going to bridge that gap, um, you know, a five-point gap, with a game in hand, then that might flip-flop, which would be significant as well. So um, it's not done, but it feels like last weekend, after such a topsy-turvy few weeks with the playoffs, um, last weekend could be the... And also, I guess you have to say the Blackburn as well, if they, if they win on Tuesday night... Uh, sorry, tonight against um, against Preston, then, then they come back into the reckoning. But it's very hard to see why they would suddenly win three games on the bounce, given what's been going on there for the last few weeks. Uh, and a shout-out to Reading, whose survival was confirmed. A job very, very, very well done by Paul Ince and this group of players who, lest we forget, in the weeks, in the months before Paunovic left and Ince took charge, looked like one of the least functioning football teams I can remember covering at the level. Um, had a penchant for leaking goals and, and, and not one for scoring him. Uh, and Paul Ince has, has done a fantastic job. Uh, when he came in, we had no idea really what to expect. He had not managed uh, for a decade. Uh, the reports from those who had supported teams that he'd managed previously was not overwhelmingly strong. Uh, it seemed a very strange appointment, quite frankly, given the lack of recent experience. Uh, and yet, and as I say this, I realise uh, there's an interesting parallel to be drawn here, and maybe it's a bit of a false equivalence, and you'll probably tell me off if so. But <laughs> I, I talked about Poyaraz Baggy joining Barnsley. They're another very low-functioning team uh, and has a very different profile to Paul Lintz. I think it's fair to say almost the opposite end of the spectrum. As Baggy, a coach... Not seemingly much of a motivator and did not get his team to win enough football matches. Paul Ince, not known as a tactician, came in, said he wanted to get rid of the tippy-tappy stuff. He's gone for the motivation technique and you have to say it's paid off in spades for for Reading. And it, it raises some interesting questions about whether he might be leading them into next season as well. I mean, that that is... 
the interesting part to me is, is how do you evaluate Reading next season if Paul Ince has done enough to get himself the job? Um, because, you know, often the way, and I'm sure we're, we're guilty of this as well, um, you can categorise managers um, in a way that, that I don't think is, is right. Um, I think with players, you know, players have a level of performance. And I think often you can get players who... You know, they're, they're good League One players, they play in the Championship and they're not good enough. And unless they improve, they aren't good enough to play at that level. Quite often, the narrative and talk around, about managers, narrative and talk, I mean, I can't even speak, but but the, the narrative around managers can often be um, the same, where people will say, is he good enough to manage in the Championship? And actually, unlike playing football, management ability isn't as quantifiable, in my opinion. You know, you will have managers who will be, you know, you look at Nathan Jones as, as an example where I'm pretty sure after the the Stoke job, 100% of Stoke fans would have told you he is not good enough to be a championship manager. And that is clearly not the case. That's for whatever reason, didn't work at Stoke, whatever. But, you know, management ability isn't an inherent value, isn't quantifiable in the same way as um, as players. So therefore, when you've got a, a manager in, in Paul Ince who has failed lower down the food chain, who would never have been perceived and I, I myself would never have said he was good enough to be a championship manager um, for whatever reason maybe the, the job at, at Reading maybe the club itself maybe the fan base or whatever it is may, maybe this is just a club that will work for him or feasibly is it just a, a talented squad of players a talented group of players being able to improve their performance level just an iota in order to escape a, a pretty perilous position it's impossible to say um Normally, I feel like you can track manager arcs a lot. I was talking about this yesterday at the EFL Awards um, in, with regards to Paul Tisdale with, with David Stowell, the, um, the Sky commentator, Sky Sports commentator. It's talking about how with Tisdale, he's kind of such an outlier where normally you can track a manager's success to and it kind of gets to a level of maybe plateaus. Whereas with Tisdale, it's such a meteoric rise and then a complete collapse of, of what looked like, looked set to be a pretty positive management career. With Ince, it's almost the opposite. You've got a guy whose management arc had already ended and suddenly you're getting this um, new level of performance uh, at a club where, you know, they probably do have the players capable of doing it. So I'm sure he's probably going to get the job. Is that a positive thing? I guess at this stage, you, you kind of have to say yes, but with the big caveat underneath of, you know, this is someone we did not expect to be able to do this. Mate, their squad situation is insane heading into the summer and not in a good way, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, I, I should credit the Tilehurst End brilliant Reading FC blog and site. Um, they tweeted out the, the contract situation earlier. Let me talk you through it just briefly to, to, to give an idea of the job that Paul Ince has just to put a squad on the pitch next season that's going to be good enough to uh, to do whatever they're, 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 they're asking of him. Uh, in goal, well, Neuland's in goal at the moment. He's on a short-term contract, which is up this summer. Um, Southwood is their other most recognisable goalkeeper who had a, a really good 15 games and then quite a bad 15-odd games. And as far as I can tell from Reading Twitter, his stock dropped so much that it's very hard for me to imagine he starts in goal for Reading next season because he's just been sort of moved aside. Not a single senior fullback contracted for next season. So Roman's on loan. Uh, Yeardom is out of contract and I'm sure we'll get a good deal somewhere. He's a, a good player. Centre-backs, Scott Dan. He's got another year. Uh, Thomas McIntyre has two more years. Thomas? Tom, Tom McIntyre. <laughs> Thomas! Two more years. Uh, Michael Morrison out of contract. Tom Holmes out of contract. 
Uh, Liam Moore has another year. I don't think he's very welcome at the football club, if I'm honest. I think that relationship's broken down as well. Maybe Ince could, could pull that back. But otherwise, you're looking at Scott Dan and McIntyre as the only senior defenders who are likely to be at the club next season who are there at the moment. Midfielders? Mm, depends if you consider Dejan Tetek to be a senior player. I guess he is just about. He is on the cusp of graduating and getting more minutes and has done this season. But Josh Laurent, Andy Rinomota, out of contract. Delhi Bashiru, Drinkwater, on loan, heading back to their parent clubs. Not a lot in the centre of the park. In front of that, of the 10 names on the list of attacking midfielders and wingers, there is one player contracted next season, and that is Ovi Ajaria, who has only really played in the last few weeks. Um, and you wonder whether they realised, God, we actually probably need to keep Ovi quite sweet he's one of our only players we've got next season. Swift out of contract, Hoylet out of contract, Ince on loan. Ince will probably come back, won't he? Surely. Um, Halilovic out of contract, Aziz out of contract, and then a load of kids. And then up top, you've got Joao, Puskas and Meite, who are all contracted to next season. Joao, you'd think there might be people sniffing around because he's a proven, proven goal scorer at this point. And Puskas is out on loan in Serie B. Difficult to imagine him leading the line for Reading next season based on how the last few years have gone for him. It's basically, it is literally a, almost a whole new team. Uh, so, hmm. yeah, if Ince does get the job, I almost feel sorry for him because it's a it's a tough situation. Uh, elsewhere, Bristol City beat Derby 3-1. Uh, Stoke beat QPR, which means Stoke now have this absolutely insane record recently where whenever they play a team above them or in the top half who are still striving for something, uh, they beat them. So that's QPR they've beaten, that's Blackburn they've beaten, that's West Brom they've beaten, they've beaten Sheffield United and Millwall. These are all in their last eight games. And in that time, they've also lost away at Cardiff, they've lost at home to Bristol City, they've lost away at Reading, all teams beneath them. So they're having genuinely just a banter end to the season. I think it's the best way of summing it up. Well, I'd be interested to hear from some Stoke fans. Like your season finished pretty early, and there was a lot of dismay at what had happened and how how quickly you dropped down the table out of playoff contention altogether. Like, what do you make of the last six weeks or so? Five impressive wins. Jacob Brown in the goals, clean sheets, good things. Also, some really bad performances and results. Like, what? I don't understand what your mindset must be at this point. I'd be. Confused, I think. Confused. Um, but it's a it's a funny record, that's for sure. Okay, let's move into League One. Um, it's a big week for it. It's final day in League One this weekend. Not in the Champions League 2, but on Saturday, League One's regular season will terminate. And there's a lot still to sort out. George, Elec, Wigan getting the worst result of the three teams gunning for automatic promotion. Rotherham and MK Dons both winning against Morecambe and Oxford. Wigan could only draw with Argyle. And yet, they're on the cusp. MK Dons are now three points back from Wigan. There is a seven-goal discrepancy in Wigan's favour. They just need one point from two games or any MK dropped point this weekend. Wigan Athletic, exceptionally likely to be in the championship <laughs> next season, but we can't say definitively. Yeah, it's not done yet, um, but it was an incredibly important goal. Um, having gone 1-0 behind against Argyle, uh, it would have made it very, very difficult for them to, well, it would have put them in a, in a far more uncomfortable position to pick up that point and just move themselves, ease themselves away um, from MK Dons because, you know, whilst they do have title aspirations, certainly getting promoted is is the key aim here. Um, and it was a, a Jack Watmore goal um, with 15 minutes to go that, that got them there in, in what was, um, you know, a really good performance from them. Uh, Plymouth Argyle are still... Even if they do fall out of the playoff places, they're still a very good side um, and they're playing well. You know, we saw them 
have the better of of one of the informed teams in the division in in Sunderland uh, on Good Friday. Oh, sorry, on Easter Monday. Um, you know they're winless in four, but they make it very difficult. And, and Wigan were the better side. The um, you know the the Argyle goal through Jeffcott wasn't necessarily deserved, um, but it took some some serious character from from Wigan to get back into it and, and get that one important um, equaliser. And for MK and for Rotherham, um, you know they did their part. Rotherham especially were very impressive, uh, having gone one 0 down against Oxford at home, they then um, were by far the better side and could have won it more comfortably than they did, uh, essentially. And, and MK Dons bouncing back themselves from a, a difficult midweek defeat to Oxford um, with Harry Darling scoring one of the most, um, yeah, one of the, one of the one of the best goals and most remarkable goals I think we've seen uh, in, in League One this season, basically running the whole pitch um, and then and then slotting into the bottom right whilst falling over. Um, it was... Yeah, big big results for all of them. The one thing, and you know, we spoke about this a few times with people last night, is it does, it's got that feeling now where it's been such a long battle between these three for automatic promotion. And you know, even though I think some Sheffield Wednesday fans thought that maybe if they could get a win against Wickham uh, on Saturday and other results went their way, they could crash the the top two. Um, but it's it's been these three for for so long now. It has that that feeling of whoever misses out. You know, whoever does come third, it's gonna it's gonna be a a very difficult job to um, reroute and to refocus and not get too down on the fact they've missed out on automatic promotion because you know if it is MK Dons, they will look back on a couple of recent results and, and just think to themselves, how have we managed to drop points there and and, and fall away from it? Um, but we'll see. You know, all three of them still, I'm, I'm sure, hoping, especially with, with Rotherham going to Sunderland in midweek. That's so tough. Um, if, if they drop points there, then then things are wide open. If Rotherham win at Sunderland, they will win promotion. They will have yeah. a three-point gap over MK and they will have at least a seven-goal swing. So wouldn't be well, mathematically confirmed, but <laughs> that would be massive. If they do not win, we will be in a situation, if they lose particularly, we'll be in a situation where Rotherham and MK would head into final day on the same points tally, which is about as good as it gets, with MK going to Argyle, with Rotherham going to Gillingham, who will likely have absolutely everything to scrap for. So uh, that's all happening, and one must be quite careful with Rotherham playing tomorrow night, you know. Um, Things can change pretty quickly. Uh, The big game in the playoff picture, as you alluded to there, was Wickham against Wednesday. If Wednesday had won it felt like they could be knocking on the door of the autos, uh, as it is Rotherham and MK's victories would have made made that not really the case. Uh, the case instead is that they're now out of the playoffs altogether. George Alec, we have four teams, Sunderland, Plymouth, Wickham and Sheffield Wednesday. Three of them are on 80 and Wednesday are on 79. But Sunderland and Wednesday have games in hand this week as well. The playoff picture is another sensational part of the rich tapestry of the EFL. Yeah, it is, and, and that that was Wednesday. Um, it really is a huge blow for them. I kind of mentioned it there, but they their fans go into this game against Wickham just wondering could they break into the uh, into the automatic promotion places, and they walk out having been beaten one nil, um, having had the better of the game, having been the better better side on the day really, and had plenty of chances from one nil down to to come back into it. Suddenly doing the maths to to work out what they've got to do in order to to ensure they're going to get in the top six because with two games to play and one game to play for plenty of other sides, Sheffield Wednesday are a one point out of it at the moment. You know they go to Fleetwoods um, on Tuesday night. On paper, it's a classic end of the season one. This where you're like, mm, on paper, yeah, they should beat them and they are the better team and, and they really should 
it'd be a surprise if they lost. But they are going to a Fleetwood side who this is their game in hand. This is their match where they can put daylight between them and Gillingham in 21st. You know, a win for Fleetwood here would keep them up um, to all intents and purposes. Another one where there's like a 15 goal swing and there'd be three points ahead. But to all intents and purposes, if Fleetwood beat Sheffield Wednesday on Tuesday night, then they will stay up in League One next season. So that, of course, makes it more difficult. It means that the, the quality gap between the two sides um, maybe shrinks that little bit. Um, but and, and coming off the back of a defeat as well, uh, an away defeat, it, it's not ideal for Wednesday. I, I still think they'll be fine. Um, but that, yeah, well, that was certainly the most significant result in in League One and a huge result for Wickham to really put themselves... At, they are still l- looking at the um, Betfair Sportsbooks top six market. Wickham are the outsiders at the moment, um, just about um, there. You know, if you look at final day, Plymouth are, are hosting MK Dons, um, as we've just mentioned there, if results go against MK Dons um, on, in this way, it all gets confusing, on Tuesday night, if Wigan and Rotherham both win, then suddenly that MK Dons game, you know, we could see Liam Manning resting players ready for the playoffs because they'll know that they are um, destined to finish third, um, which could make it a lot easier. But on the face of it, posting MK Dons is a lot trickier than travelling to, to Burton Albion, which is what Wigan have, Wigan have to do on final day. Um, although we should say that, you know, Burton themselves, you know, they beat Rotherham 2-0 at, their, at the Pirelli the other day. So uh, it's not it's not it's not all so simple. Um, still, you know, only two or well, one or two games left to go. And it's still very much up in the air between who's going to get into top six, apart from my lot, Oxford, who definitely won't. It's not simple, but it is exciting. Uh, I'm in at Quest on Saturday. I cannot wait uh, to be part of the coverage of, of League One's final day and whatever happens at one of Sunderland. Argyle, Wickham and Wednesday will not make the playoffs. The other three will do. Uh, Sunderland smashed Cambridge. Uh, they were helped by a very early red card, which I thought might have been a little harsh. Um, Rossi Stewart pulling two goals out of nowhere to go back to the top of the uh, League One top goal scorers charts. That's another real wrinkle to this weekend. Um, what a division this is. At the bottom of it, George Fleetwood Wimbledon was the standout fixture. It ended 1-1 and this was Wimbledon distilled really 26 now without a win uh, but at 0-0 they looked alright scored a very nice goal uh, Rodoni Asal McCormick combining top corner lovely 1-0 gone ahead and completely wet the bed they did not have a shot in the second half Wimbledon this is a uh, this is a, a huge issue for this side and frankly the manner of Fleetwood Town's equalising goal sums it all up they, they are in my eyes, as, as good as gone. Again, not mathematically relegated, but as good as gone Wimbledon. And that's because this goal they conceded, I still can't get my head around it. Nick Zanev, I'm afraid. I think a, a brain fart is probably the, the most polite way of describing what happened. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. Um, Nick Zanev goes down, kind of injured, gets back up to take the free kick and seemingly just completely forgets what is going on and starts kind of prodding the ball ahead of himself um, as if the ball is in play from the start. And that itself is an indirect free kick, which is then um, slotted away. I know Mark Bowen, you know, obviously very emotional, uh, spoke afterwards and, and said, you know, the, the um, criticising the referee and, and saying there was no need to give the, give the free kick. I mean, I totally disagree. It, it's quite clearly a free kick, no matter the reason for why. Um, he said that he hadn't heard the whistle. I, I just don't think that... If you haven't heard the whistle, why do you start kicking the ball forward as if you're about to, to launch it? You, you know, you never do that. You're not allowed to do that. Um, so 
you know, for, for AFC Wimbledon fans, that is four games in a row where they've taken the lead and four leads that they've squandered. And to do it in that way, to basically to to concede such a pivotal goal in such a preventable way where it's just pure human error um, has got to hurt a lot because um, you know if it's if that game stays one nil then things are looking very different. Big big point though for Fleetwood. Big big mm. goal that one was. Uh, they have the aforementioned game on Tuesday against Sheffield Wednesday. Tough fixture. That's their game in hand over Gillingham. Fleetwood are currently the right side of the dotted line. And Jills, who lost to Portsmouth, whose Neil Harris renaissance has certainly taken a bit of a hit, who are not picking up points recently, just three points from their last five games. Fleetwood and Jills are both on 40. Fleetwood have the game in hand against Sheffield Wednesday. If they win that, they're safe. They'll be three points above Jills and they will have a 17-goal better goal difference. So that's the, that's the first port of call for Fleetwood, who aren't playing very well either at the moment, we should point out. And, I mean, I would argue at 0-0, Wimbledon were the better side there, and Fleetwood were fortunate to pick up a point there. So I'm not hugely expecting much on Tuesday. So we could have a scenario where we head into final day, Fleetwood and Gillingham both on 40 points. Jills uh, are at home to Rotherham. Fleetwood are away at Bolton. Both of them really tough games. Uh but Fleetwood have the goal difference that could make all of the difference. Mm. Uh, that's for sure. And Morecambe are not mathematically safe yet. They will only go down if Fleetwood and Jills both win a game. Fleetwood, uh, one of the two they've got, Jills against Rotherham, and Morecambe lose or draw. They're at home to Sunderland on final day. So um, looking forward to, to next Monday when we can stop reading out fixture lists and stop reading out points tallies and just just tell you definitively what's happened to be honest um, I can't wait for it cannot wait for it must be horrific being part of this League One relegation scrap but unfortunately and somewhat perversely it is incredibly entertaining for the neutral um, League Two George Forest Green have won promotion we're probably expecting to say that about four weeks ago but it's still nice to say <laughs> Forest Green have won promotion they will be a League One club uh, next season. Rob Edwards openly admitting that he was hungover at the EFL Awards as he won uh, manager of the season in League Two. Not too many complaints about that. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to Forest Green and, and why this season they got it right and why in previous seasons maybe they didn't. Uh, I think we should take that opportunity to do so. Uh, Rob Edwards, well, this is a, a pretty impressive debut EFL campaign as a young manager. And I think this is someone that will likely be quite highly sought after as are many of their players as well. Yeah. He came over and passed it to us today, which was very nice of him. Um, uh, very happy for them to have, have secured this. I, I think, um, you know, it's a classic. It's, it's like Fulham. Um, if we're honest, Forest Green have been promoted since about January time. Uh, it's just been a, a waiting game for, for them to secure it. Although the you know the reaction of the players at full time against Bristol Rovers um, showed the relief I think to actually get over the line um, and to do so and it's been an incredible season for them um, you know there has been a bit of a drop off maybe in terms of performances although it must be said they were much better at a Bristol Rovers side who I think have proven themselves to be one of the best teams in the division uh, at the moment you know they had their chances uh, Forest Green and I think if Forest Green continue to, to put in performances like that from now to the end of the season they should wrap up the title um, ahead of the, you know the very informed Exeter who are currently kind of chasing up behind them um, but it's been an amazing season for them I think we've spoken about it so many times when you look at at the, the elevated performance levels of the likes of, of Matty Stevens of um, 
you know, if Kane Wilson, uh, two guys who were nominated for the League Two Player of the Season, Wilson winning it, uh, to go along with the the obvious qualities and the known qualities of of Adams, of uh, Matt, um, Cadden, you know, more Taylor. There, there are so many. It's such a good squad, and, and it was a good squad last season that should have done better. Um, and we and we consistently see good League Two sides going into League One. They're normally baseline is is mid table and i think if if rob edwards stays at the club um you know they're going to lose players because of contract issues ebo adams is out of contract um kane wilson's out of contract wilson and adams will be playing in the championship next season <laughs> yeah exactly um you know i think they're going to get something through the tribunal um for wilson whereas adams will just be leaving on a free uh but you know their recruitment is is so good and has been so good that you can be, be pretty confident that they will bring in quality I think Edwards is, is, you know, Rob Edwards has to be the key. I think if he's there next season, even just to start the season, if he's if he helps to, you know, he is a very attractive manager, attractive man as well, uh, attractive manager to to play for. Um, if you're looking at loans, I think a lot of clubs in the Championship and the Premier League would be very happy to send players to Forest Green uh, to further their development, which is so important. I think a lot of players in, in League Two and League One would, would love to go and play at the club at the moment as well. So. Yeah, I think if it's hard to say now. We have no idea what state that club's going to be in uh, come July, mid-July, when things start happening again. Um, but it, it seems, when you look at what Cambridge have done this season, when you look at what Charlton have done, Bolton, um, I don't see why Forest Green won't be a team who, who can do more than just consolidate in, in League One. What I, what I like about how the club operated last summer was not just making the appointment of Rob Edwards with, you, you you have to say, risk attached in that he had only managed Telford before at senior level in non-league. The more you hear about Edwards and his assistant Richie Kyle and their reputation within the game in terms of talented young coaches, youth development uh, and what they had done beforehand, the less of a risk it sounds to, to appoint this duo to, to take things forward. So uh, it was a a very very impressive piece of managerial recruitment I always think Dale Vince obviously is such a character and has such strong beliefs in so many very specific things which are unusual for football clubs and that gets talked about a lot with Forest Green and and rightly so but I think he's just a good owner he's seemingly very supportive of course on the financial side you know you can't get away from the fact that Forest Green Rovers as a club uh, have a pretty small fan base and uh, don't have the highest sort of organic revenue shall we say uh, in League Two and and the funding of Dale Vince is ultimately the most important thing in their move up the leagues we shouldn't get past that uh, having said that I think he comes across as a very supportive owner as well um, not someone who has thrown money at it with no thought which is a problem but rather thrown money at it with a lot of thought and strategy and employing quite smart people and letting them do their job the way that they recruited in the summer was really smart and and I think director of football Rich Hughes should take a lot of credit for that as well and remember they'd lost in the playoffs as well so it was reduced pre-season when they went on their pre-season uh, like for their first sort of pre-season little trip every single player that was already in the building no one left from that point. They didn't sell anyone from mid-July onwards and they'd already brought in the players that they brought in, um, the likes of, of uh, Regan Hendry, etc. So, you know, you start to see that this was a club that was very focused, that made their decisions early, that stuck to them, that were very consistent and gave a, a new young manager quite a lot of support. 
Um, and when you do all those things and you appoint the right people and you've and you've had a good few years in the in the in the transfer market, then you earn promotion. It's it's a pretty simple equation. Um, but it's anything but simple. Congratulations to Forest Green. Um, really looking forward to seeing how you go in, in League One next season. Now beneath them, things got pretty lively, didn't they, George? There's two more automatic spots. And I'd suggest that there are four teams really in the conversation. Just talk me through the weekend, what happened with uh, Exeter and Northampton and Bristol Rovers and Port Vale. Bad weekend for Port Vale. <laughs> yeah, good weekend for Exeter. Um, you know, they, they aren't up yet, but they are five points clear of Port Vale in, in fourth. Um, and they've got a game in hand and it, it's a matter of time. So there are... I think we can we can fairly safely say. I mean, it's not done yet, of course, and you know any team is capable of losing three games on the bounce. But but Exeter, are... as I said on the betting show on Thursday, they have shown no indication of having the bottle job gene. So it would be very surprising if they chucked it in now. Exactly, and they're you know even before we talk about bottling, they're they're just they're just very good at football, and therefore um, should be okay. Uh, so we should see Exeter go up in midweek. Although you know they they do play a Barrow side uh, in midweek, who uh, at the moment. I, I, you know, under Phil Brown are, are certainly playing very well, and um, you know, I guess if they do get beat there, then things could get a little bit sketchy. But I think they'll be okay. Uh, but the other teams, as you mentioned, you know, Bristol Rovers got a point at home to Forest Green. It's one of those weird ones where it's quite a good result, but at the same time, it doesn't help them at all in terms of trying to get into the automatic promotion places. Port Vale went to uh, Walsall, where um, you know, even though Michael Flynn hasn't made an incredible start at home, he's made Walsall a very good side, and and they. Eased to a win, 2-0. Walsall fans would have been very happy um, to to do so, you know, after the circumstances around Daryl Clark leaving the club last season um, and, and kind of, I think they felt leaving them in the lurch a bit. Um, that, that 2-0 win is a massive dent in Port Vale's promotion hopes. Um, so the big winners were, of course, Northampton, who um, beat Leighton Orient 4-2. You know, we've often thought of Northampton this season as being a side who a, a pretty kind of low margin, low scoring, very reliant on set pieces. But that is... A 2-0 win, a 3-0 win, and a 4-2 win um, right at a, at a very good part of the season. Um, you know, this was a, a bit of an XG outlier game where I think Leighton Orient won the XG battle. I think Northampton's XG was about one, and they and they, and they scored four. So um, it kind of suggests that Northampton have to do whatever they can to get in that top three because whether this is sustainable through the playoffs, uh, we're yet to see. But they have certainly put themselves in the box seat uh, in terms of trying to to get out of um, of League Two. Uh, although, if Mansfield would win their game in hand, then they would move up 75 points, which is just one point behind Northampton. So we have to we have to include Mansfield still in that automatic promotion race. But for Sutton, um, who were certainly in it before the weekend, uh, a 1-0 loss at Barrow uh, is a big, big blow to their hopes of, of getting into the top three. And now suddenly, as is often the case, you know, having gone into a Saturday, it's a bit like Sheffield Wednesday, hoping a win could propel them into the top three race, automatic promotion race. Suddenly they've got three games to go and they've got to make sure they get enough points to finish in the top seven. Mate, Mansfield lost both games over Easter weekend. I was ready to be like, ah... Oh. Just the wrong time for them. They've lost form at the wrong time. And then they win here. Got game in hand at home to Stevenage tomorrow night. Can I can I call that a home win? Can I call that a home win? Stevenage no. safety no. confirmed. No, they're already in Dubai, mate. They're already there. You can't you can't call you can't call it a home win. I'm calling it a home oh, win. Steve Evans will get very hot in Dubai. Mansfield should be on 75 points by Saturday Could morning. Could be on. They should be on 75 points. That's what Port Vale are on. That's one more than this, what Bristol Rovers are on. This sounds to me like a guy who's back to Mansfield to get promoted. Shut up. <laughs> Shut your mouth. It's one point less than what Northampton are on. 
with two games to go. It's they should be inserting themselves in this conversation pretty pretty strongly. And I'm excited. Listen, what's it. just happened is someone who's back Mansfield to get promoted has just realised live on a podcast that his vet is still alive. Oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> that playoff picture is pretty spicy as well, Mansfield or otherwise. Uh, you've got them in sixth on 72. You've got Sutton in that last spot uh, on 70 uh, with a game this midweek as well at home to Crawley Town. Sutton with a good chance to cement their playoff position. And then a couple of teams sniffing around. Salford City one point back. Tramir Rovers also one point back. Uh, and then Swindon having won. They thought their season was over. It's still not over, Swindon Town. But you've got Forest Green coming to town uh, after their big party this weekend. So... Uh, it's only Newport, really, who have who have massively played themselves out of contention. Um, not mathematically, they're only four points off, but three defeats in a row, including some truly depressing displays at home to, to Crawley and Colchester in particular in the last few weeks. Um, it's a real shame how their season has ended. Uh, we wait and see how Newport uh, deal with that over the summer and how they look to build for next season. Obviously, they'll be losing Azaz and Cooper. Telford as well, very possibly. Uh, so... Not been a good few weeks for Newport County. It's only fair because we went quite big on, on James Robry a few months ago and how much we enjoyed his start to life as Newport manager. Uh, I think it's fair to point out that uh, something's happened in the last few weeks and they've massively dropped off. So they're out of it. But everyone else is still massively, massively in it. And I love it. Uh, all very, very exciting. Salford put themselves back in contention after a really poor Easter weekend. They went to Oldham, George, and they won the game. Oldham Athletics relegation was confirmed. The Oldham fans, with relegation looming, taking action on the pitch. There is no doubt in their minds who is to blame for this relegation. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind as well. One of the worst ownerships of a football club that we've covered. We know what ownerships like this mean for clubs in League One and League Two. It means relegations. And at the very worst, it can mean huge existential problems. That is what I am incredibly concerned about when it comes to Oldham Athletic, as clearly the fans are who protested on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that is the difficulty for, for them now. I mean, it, it kind of felt like us covering it. It became such big news. There was so much talk about the Oldham mess and then... You know, the, John Sheridan was brought in and, and Oldham fans were delighted briefly and the results changed. But um, and maybe we dropped the ball a bit by not talking about it more because that um, moment of brief positivity um, was pretty quickly offset, wasn't it? Um, and as a club now, it, it's very hard, especially when you've got a, a very stubborn owner who, you know, we, people often talk about football owners being custodians of football clubs. And when you have all of the fan base united in wanting action and change and you stubbornly refuse. Um, you are not being a custodian of a club. You are treating it like your own personal property and treating the fans who who pay the bills and, and pay to come and watch the team and, and who will be there long after you've departed, treating them like customers or, I mean, at the very worst, uh, even worse than that, kind of visitors, tourists, uh, rather than the actual lifeblood of the club. It's It's miserable to watch and all we can say i guess is that hopefully um you know this relegation or whatever will will, will end a, a vanity project um and we'll we'll see the owner decide to, to sell because he doesn't want to own a, a club in the national league um 
and and you know if that does happen especially because you know we've spoken about it so much the national league is is incredibly competitive now if you are the the 23rd best team in the um in in league 2 i think that that used to translate 10 15 years ago to being one of the best teams in in, in what was then the conference now you are immediately you're going into a league with 8 9 10 11 teams that are better than you that are better funded than you better run than you um and that means that makes bouncing back in the same way that that Luton did, um, that Oxford did, Bristol Rovers did, it, it makes it very difficult to do that. So um, it's hard to say anything positive about the situation. Oldham, all credit to their fans for taking a stand, um, for for doing so in a peaceful manner, for displaying their their message very clearly. Um, and there's something pretty poignant about the fact that Oldham's relegation was played out in front of an empty stadium because. It feels like a bit of a shell of a club uh, with the owner in charge. It is a club that has never played beneath the fourth tier of English football in its 116-year history. And the fact that they will do that next season, and who knows for how long beyond that, is down to the failings of, of one man, ultimately, of Abdallah Lemsagam. It just makes me so unbelievably angry. So unbelievably angry. Um I seen on BBC Sport this morning the Oldham Athletic Supporters Foundation. They're trying to take action as well. Um, it's not easy to do this, but they are going to give it their best go. They want to take over the club. They want to try and 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 wrestle back control. They're trying to get the the town's community to support them. They only own a three percent share uh, at the moment. The supporters trust, um, so it'll take a lot. But uh, Matt Dean, their representative. We have to take responsibility for it as fans. We represent, uh, we own 3% of the football club already, but we want to increase that. We have to fundraise, contact the businesses and the people of Oldham and say, it's important. If you're invested in Oldham, invest in Oldham Athletic. That's what we're going to try to achieve as a supporters trust. And we won't be covering Oldham Athletic next season, but we are very concerned about them. And we send certainly Matt Dean and that supporters trust our, our best wishes, our, our full support as well. So that's the end of, of the League Two segment. Um, their defeat, Oldham's defeat and their relegation is, is good news for Barrow and for Stevenage, who at different points over the last few months were feeling pretty nervous, I think it's fair to say, about their potential relegation. Um, both of those teams will be playing in League Two next season. Both of those teams need to do a lot better than they did this time out, that's for sure. it uh, be interesting to know if Steve Evans will be Stevenage manager. be interesting to know if Phil Brown will be Barrow manager. We'll wait and see on that front. Um, that's the end of, of this pod. If you told me, as I unlocked my front door at the ninth time of asking at 4am, <laughs> that you and I would talk about EFL football for an hour and a half, I'd have said, yeah, cool, what time do we start? I can't wait. You said, yeah, cool, we're contractually obliged. Not sure it's been my best performance. but you've I think been, you've been incredible. I think you've been magnificent. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this pod throughout the season, today, and hopefully forevermore. Next Monday is going to be a cracker. No 4am bedtimes on Sunday night, that's for sure. We've got League One <laughs> final day. Speak for yourself. It's a bank holiday. It's so a it bank could, holiday. Could well be a 4am bed. So Sunday night's basically a, a Saturday night. I would like to formally retract what I said <laughs> about Sunday bedtimes. All bets are off. We'll be back again on, on Thursday for a betting show ahead of the weekend. We'll be back again on Monday, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Thank you for all of your support. Um, we have many pinch me moments in our lives we're so lucky to do what we do love what we do and moments like last night sitting there at the EFL awards seeing all the people that we talk about all the time and lots of people that we don't talk about enough like the aforementioned community trusts and all those who sail within them um, was a real 
pinch me moment and um it, it's it continues to be down to you guys uh, and your support because without it we would be doing none of it so thank you thank you to betfair our sponsors and uh, we'll talk again on monday and uh, go well